Hi there, and welcome to episode 11 of the Mother of Success podcast. I am your host, Heather Hennessy of Heather Hennessy Life Coaching, and I am so glad that you are with me for today's episode. This podcast is for working women who are new mothers. I am going to start by asking you to breathe with me. Whatever you are doing right now, take five deep breaths with me in through your nose and out through your mouth. Today's episode is a very special one. I have my very first podcast guest joining me, and it is my sister Holly. We are going to spend the next hour talking about our own working mother and our family history and sort of how even though we had a working mother, a working single mother, that was the house we grew up in, that was the culture of our family, that was the rhythm of our life, neither she nor I was prepared for working motherhood in any way. And we sort of talk about why that was the case and what that meant for us, and how it manifested in our lives for us as we've been, you know, both going through our own motherhood journey. And, you know, Holly's perspective is really valuable here, right? Her kids are older than mine. And so she, she's able to sort of talk to us from the perspective of a, we called her a seasoned mom was the term that we used a lot. So I'm so glad that you're um, joining us today. I do want to tell you that the volume on this episode gets pretty loud because she and I are on video, right? We can, she and I can see each other. So, you know, we get pretty, our voices get pretty loud. So if you have a sleeping child in your presence or a child that you wish were sleeping, my uh, advice to you is to get your headphones um, for this episode. Um, So again, thank you so much for joining us and enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so thrilled Uh, to have you here. There there is only one person on the planet who I can have this conversation with you with and that person is you. So here we are to have a conversation about I think, I think like, so, okay. So several things sort of come to mind when I think about my business and I think about my mission here of like helping the working mothers of the world. And one of the things that I recognize now, and this is what only you and I can have this conversation about is that before I had Brian, I thought that I understood the life cycle of a working mother. 
I know. My sister, no. her head at no. right. <laughs> Like, I had this because we were raised by a working mother. We were raised by a single working mother. Like, we saw her life. Like, we lived her life in our household. Our household was the household of a working mother. So I feel like if somebody had sat me down when I was pregnant and like quizzed me and asked me if I understood what I was in for, I would have said, yeah, I, of course, I understand working motherhood. I saw working motherhood every day of my life. And I just want to talk about how wrong I was, how arrogant that assumption was and the and the humbling and life-changing appreciation of understanding how wrong I was <laughs> right. absolutely yes that's, that's my starting point here and I why and why do I want this to be a podcast because like you and I could have this conversation from now until the end of time you and I have been having this conversation for decades but the reason that I want this to be a podcast is because if other working women who are new mothers are as confused and disoriented as I was, I want them to understand that they are not alone, right? Like I, right. I was so confused. I was so disoriented. I thought that something had gone terribly wrong. yeah no it didn't go wrong it's just so different for all of our journeys right so so for those of you who are listening I had a baby at age 41 and became a working mother Uh, my guest today my sister Holly had her first baby way earlier than I did and was a single working mother at the time So when you entered motherhood, you entered as a single working mother. You are not currently a single mother or a working mother because you're now you're you're like COVID homeschooling, like so many other, uh, (laughs) so many other mothers in 2020. But but yeah, so like, let's kind of back up and talk for a minute. How old were you when you had your first? 26. You were 26 when you mm-hmm. had your first. I can say the name. Can we say names? You can. Yeah. When you had okay. Hayden, I you were you. 26. Correct. Yes. I was 26. <clears throat> and you were working. Yes. I worked at Valentino's in Missoula, Montana. Right. And you were, were you also as confused, like in the earliest days, like you bring your baby home from the hospital and then some period of maternity leave goes by and you're like, like cast your memory back. I know this was a while ago, but cast your memory back. Oh, no, I remember it very, very well. And, you know, Valentino's, let me clarify, was um, a Greek Italian restaurant And it was a lovely place to work, family run. And they were awesome. And I got pregnant working there. And 
Dina, my manager made me, she's like, you have to quit waiting tables. And so I hosted for a week before I had Hayden. I think I went on my maternity leave air quotes for three days. And then I um, went into labor and had him. And I took two weeks off after a cesarean. You took two weeks off after a cesarean. Yes. Because I had no choice because, again, I was a single working mother. You were a single working mother at the age of 26. So Hayden went to daycare, if I remember correctly. I actually um, hired um, a friend, well, a friend of a friend, and we became very good friends. Her name was Brooke, and she was his nanny. She worked during the day. Clearly, you make more money at night. So I was working um, nights doing, you know, waiting tables. It wasn't too late, like 10, 11. I was usually home. And yeah, she was my nanny and she had the whole setup at her house for Hayden. And I had forgotten I, about that. I had forgotten that he had like special nanny care when he was so tiny. I was very fortunate for that. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember taking Brian to daycare when he was four months old and they took our daycare at the time took babies who were two weeks old Mm -hmm. and I was like wow yeah wow yeah yeah you know it was really good that I didn't have to put him in a facility that young and then so I don't know how much farther you want me to go but yeah it was from the get out with him only one child it was yes single working mother for years and on a scale of one to ten again you and I grew up in the household with a working mother on a scale of one to ten how prepared do you think you were for that that phase of like maternity leave return to work here we are negative ten because I I didn't know anything I mean I didn't know I knew so little and so much all else was also going on. Sure. But, you know, it sure. was like being, I mean, it was being thrown to the wolves with a new baby. I mean, I had one of those really surreal moments on July 4th, because he was born July 3rd, July 4th in the hospital together, just me and him. And I'm holding him and I'm like, wow, kid, it's me and you now. Here we go. Let's do it. They're shooting fireworks for us. We're shooting fireworks for us, right? Like mama, mama's the breadwinner. Here we go. Yeah. Let's do it. Literally, literally you had been raised by a single working mother who was the breadwinner. And (laughs) there you were. My point is that there was no skill set that you absorbed during our childhood that prepared you for working motherhood. And my experience was... I was much, much older than you. Like I had Brian at age 41. I was not single and I had a couple months off of work. And then Brian started daycare at four months. I was also prepared at the, at a negative 10, right? Like our, our like personal experiences, age, you know, life circumstances, relationships were different but we were both prepared at negative zero. Yeah. 
And it's so weird because it's like, why did I know? I mean, there's many reasons I can think of why I knew truly nothing. But you just saying that it clicked. It's like, oh gosh, I need to start teaching Hayden. I think Hayden has a little more skills from being around two younger siblings so much. But literally thrown to the wolves and you're just like, okay. And the time that a newborn takes or any child takes, and then the time that you need to put into making a living for you and that child or your family, whatever the circumstances, it's, it's a lot of, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's totally disorienting. So my, in the coaching world, we talk a lot about the analogy of swimming, right? That if like, if you and I didn't know how to swim and we were to watch a lot of YouTube videos and like observe people swimming, that we could talk to ourselves in such a way like, oh, like swimming, right? Like you're in the water and you move your arms and your legs and you breathe. But if, if then if we actually got in the water, we would have no idea what to do. And that that you know, people talk about that frequently in coaching because it's so true, right? Like the theoretical working motherhood is that I have a baby and then I go back to work and I'm earning the money for the family. Like in theory, that is one thing. Even watching it, I think from the position of a child is one thing, but actually being the woman who is, you know, some amount of time postpartum, right? Like whatever the hormone roller coaster is doing, whatever the emotional roller coaster is doing. And like, however, we're sort of faring mentally, emotionally, physically, and then trying to go back to work and be a mom at the same time. Like what, like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing with my arms and my legs? Like, I have no idea what's happening. I think that's part of the disorientation and part of the anxiety, right? Like the fact that we were so caught off guard. Again, we were raised by a working mother, right? Like every day of our lives as children was in that kind of environment and the knowledge that it didn't slightly prepare us to actually do the thing, right? Like all the YouTube videos in the world are not actually going to prepare you to swim. So I just think that the, there are tons of people out there in the world who think they ought to be doing it better, right? I'm using air quotes here. They think they ought to be doing it better. They think they ought to be whatever, like not suffering. They think they ought to be not having anxiety attacks all day, every day, but they are suffering. They are having anxiety. They are like completely a hot mess and they think they shouldn't be. And one of the, one of the theories of my coaching practice is no, no, you should totally be. And I let here. I have a lot of thoughts on on that part. It is the disillusion. It's the smoke and mirrors that were all shown, and social media has just intensified that so much. 
it's, you know, my awakening, we'll just say the COVID awakening that I've had. I have really, you know, torn down all and re-looked at all of the things that the perfectionism you do see on social media. And it's, it's not discussed enough is what I think. Mom didn't discuss it with us. Of course, grandmother didn't, neither grandparents discussed it with us, but it's just not having the open communication about it's okay. We all struggle. I don't know why not struggling isn't like, it's okay to screw up, but you're not able to screw up. I think in these days, you're not given that grace. Right. The interjection of grace into the conversation and, and, you know, to your point, right? Like recognizing that what people are putting on social media is curated is airbrushed literally and figuratively is like the one perfect snapshot where the children were not, you know, biting each other, right? Like whatever in that that's like, that's fine that it's out there, but just for us to all have a filter when we absorb it. And be able to truly, cause I, I strive for that perfection. That puts the pressure on anyone, but new mothers. I, and I can see from being outside of it and being not a, see, a well-seasoned mother, but I've been one for a while. I was going to say, I would, I would categorize you <laughs> as well-seasoned. Three, I, I, three kids, the youngest of whom is eight? Nine. Nine. Yeah, nine, there you go. Nine and 17 is my bracket. So yeah, eight-year difference in, with the three. But it, it's the... You're not told the reality, I don't think, because everyone wants to skirt around it. And that's just my experience. And yeah, we're here to we're here to talk reality. That is part of the mission of this podcast is to talk. Absolutely. Reality. Well, and if then, you sit here, it, that's why so many new moms are scared. Agreed. And especially mothers who don't have new mothers who don't have moms who were excellent and really good at that and you know how much of what I do and I'm having to I'm very conscious how much is performative and how much is the true reality of what I'm going through and what I've gone through with the children and things yeah so to sort of give people a little bit more information like when we talk about our own working single mother right like there were aspects of her right? Like she was a rock star, right? Like in her own way, she was, you know, divorced with two very young children. She started law school when I, she was working already. She started going to law school at night. Mom was in law school for a really long time. She was, she was, no, when you go to law school at night, it takes you like five years to graduate. Okay. Okay. And she um, graduated from law school. She she t- it took her a few times to pass the bar. She passed the bar exam and began to work as a lawyer. And that was how life was when, like, during the eighties and into the nineties. Right. Like that was like mm-hmm. I graduated from high school in ninety two. So like that was sort of what was going on during my sort of years in the house before I left for college and the like 
it was the 80s and the early 90s, right? There was a lot of like big shoulder pads, sort of like women can do anything, right? It was sort of the like 80s power female dynamic, um, which we can sort of look back on from our current vantage point and, and criticize on multiple fronts. But at the time, it was like, you know, it was sort of like designing women, like an episode of designing women and like women are gonna, you know, take over. And she was sort of on the forefront in some ways of, I think, a societal shift. And again, you and I had a ringside seat there for some of that. Um, And so, you know, we sort of saw all of that on the positive side, right? Like she, you know, came out of a divorce, got a advanced degree and started a new career, right? Sort of went through this process of reinvention that, that I can certainly really appreciate. Um, yes, also- the appreciation I did not have until probably even rec- more recently in the last five years yeah. for what she did. Fair enough, because simultaneously, we were also exposed to, you know, the the not so pretty side of some of this, right? Like she was, um, you know, for all of those accomplishments, she was not an especially happy person. And you and I being her children, right, sort of had a ringside seat for her accomplishments and also a ringside seat for her unhappiness and how that manifested for her. And, you know, you and I both have had ways that we have brought with us, you know, out of childhood and into adulthood where that has manifested for us, right? Like the behaviors and patterns that we sort of picked up. And I've spoken about this on previous episodes, but I, you know, struggled with my weight my entire life until very recently, right? I was an emotional eater and, you know, we grew up in a household where eating your feelings was normal, right? <laughs> like where, right. Where, where shopping to feel yes. better was normal, right? And where like, if something was unpleasant, you fixed it with either ice cream or going to the mall. Oh yeah. Yeah. Amongst other things. True. Yeah. Right, right, right. But the, like you definitely did not have, there was no toolkit. She, she did not have a toolkit, nor did she give to us a toolkit for handling our own mental and emotional health absent outside forces, right? Like whether it was food or alcohol or what have you? Well, yeah, and that was one of the biggest things for me entering motherhood is all of those faults. Uh, you know, it's all the okay. There's a problem. Well, just sweep it under the rug or get rid of it, ignore it. And right. that was a huge thing. Or you know, shop or eat. I mean, or shop or eat. Right. But it was it was never deal with the problem to come up with the solution and never in and that was in pretty much anything anytime with any of those any of our elders any of our childhood right and like (laughs) the the notion that we as individuals 
had the ability to impact ourselves for the positive without food, without, you know, buying something, without sort of an outside, um, in the coaching world, we sort of call them like buffers or false pleasures, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so that's a theme that I will, you know, visit often on the podcast, but, you know, at any rate, we sort of saw all the great stuff and we saw the not so great stuff and we brought forward you and I in different ways, brought forward the not so great stuff into our own time as working mothers. And like the, you know, I, I think that the point for me where everything really started to change as a working mom, right? Like I was having this experience that we had talked about all the confusion, all the disorientation, all the feeling like I was doing it wrong. And I've described this on other episodes as this like alarm bell that was ringing in my head that wouldn't stop ringing. And it was just like, like something's wrong, something's wrong, pay attention, pay attention. And I could not quiet it down. And I was so freaked out. And what has come to me over time is that that alarm bell was telling me that I was leaning into the, the habits from our mother that were not the rock star side, right? Like I was leaning into eating more. I was leaning into like, like how, how to feel better in ways that were buffers or false pleasures, right? You didn't want to deal with the actual, well, we didn't even know what the actual problem, right? And we probably didn't even know what the actual problem was so many times. And if you don't know how to deal with those sorts of things, yeah, it's, it's extremely overwhelming. And I still, but I, I get where you, that was one of the things I first said when I became pregnant with Hayden was, I, okay, I'm having this kid. I'm not going to become my mother. And <laughs> I, I did though. I did over the years and it wasn't like all of a sudden I was, you know, a screaming crazy person, but because mom, that was how she communicated with me when she was angry. You know, I remember that a lot. Yeah. I became that person, all of those negative aspect yeah the screaming the walking away or the slamming stuff and it's so unproductive and that's I remember going back to those going to those things until you know my COVID revelation so yeah well then and in all seriousness so this is my this is my very very macro level theory is that exactly what you just said. We know what we don't want, but we don't have the toolkit to avoid it by ourselves. Correct. We yes. need to develop the toolkit. And, and like, we can say these things, I like, you know, I, it's so fun to be able to have this conversation with you now. Cause we can talk about mom in a way that like, there's no blame here, right? No. There's no anger, like just like no. a lot of love and a lot of compassion for, you know, who she was and how she mothered us. And like, this is, but this is the reality, right? Like every, 
and every everybody's life is sort of a mixture of the rock star and the not rock star and so we're just kind of so anyway I feel like we're really lucky that we're at the point where we can have a conversation about this reality of our lives and sort of what it means for us and like how we knew what we didn't want but we didn't know how to give it to ourselves and in those moments when we're moving in the direction that's taking us toward what we don't want what do we do right like I mean my again the sort of like baseline of my business here is that we hire a coach specifically me to like help help get you turned you know turned in a very productive and and much quicker way away from what you don't want and toward being exactly the working mother that you want to be right I mean that is the whole basis of um of my coaching practice so and it, it is my genuine belief that in like that haze of new motherhood and in the confusion and in our disorientation, we revert to the pattern of our family of origin. Mm-hmm. We just do. Um, and I think that's, that that's all we know. That's all we that's know. That's all we know. And that's normal. And I think that's like what my alarm bell was about was like, I was trending in a direction that I didn't want to be trending and I didn't know what to do about it. And I, I, I mean, eventually, right. That alarm bell sort of led me to coaching. So anyway, so I, I have for Holly here a visual aid and I'll type this into the show notes, but just real quick here, talking about how we revert to our family of origin and why is that a problem? So I had a baby at the age of 41 in 2015. I was born in 1974. My mother was 33 when I was born. My mother was born in 1941. And my grandma, our maternal grandmother was 31 when our mother was born our maternal grandmother was born in 1910 like what i know that's insane it's insane i I, I mean i until i sort of wrote it down to show to you it didn't really sink in like when when we say that we were parenting right that we were mothering on sort of autopilot, right? Like on our default programming from our family of origin, I think that my like freaked out brain was taking me back 105 years. Like I think I was traveling back in time in my like fight or flight brain from 2015 to 1910. Yeah, I, and I can agree with that. It, that's crazy. I, my years are 2003 is when Hayden was born and then 1977. Right. So I was the youngest. I was 26. You I'm were 26. You were the youngest mother going back multiple generations. Going back 100 years, yeah. <laughs> Just 100 years. So, and this might, like, our family dynamic here where our grandma 
you know, had her oldest child at age 31. And then our mother mm -hmm. became a mother at the first time at the age of 33. And then I became a mother at the first time at the age of 41. That might be a pretty long, like spread generationally, but I don't think that's all that unusual these days, right? Like where you, you have kind of a family generational spacing where there's just a lot of time between us and our grandmother and therefore the world has changed so substantially, especially in our family's case where our mother's side of the family lived in an extremely rural, extremely you know, impoverished part of the South where they literally did not have indoor plumbing until the mid sixties. Like, yeah. like we, we are literally one generation removed from the outhouse. As I know. And I love that because I remember that house so well though. Like that course. house, I had so many wonderful memories. And when you talk about grandmother, you know, I can't, not put her I have so much so many of my memories of e being mothered was by her I know she was my grandmother sure. but it was, yeah she taught me how to cook I remember baking with her and you know I don't remember mom ever speaking of doing those things with her so it's just it is different it's it's in crazy to see how different the generations did mother or what we know and that in our like confusion, in our distress, in our fight or flight, like brain, when we are going back to the, the, you know, habits and programming of our family of origin, and we're coming up with patterns or behaviors or examples, or even just like beliefs, right? Like some of this is going to be way below our level of consciousness that what is being given to us, like what our brain is giving to us, what our emotions are doing in that state of default programming is so archaic, is so antiquated, right? I mean, like mm -hmm. the, the difference between parenting in 1910 or 1941 <laughs> or 1974 and today uh -huh. it's completely different bonkers right and so so i say all this to try to demystify for people if they are experiencing what we're talking about they're confused they feel themselves turning into their mother and they're freaking out this is part of my explanation for what's happening to them. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the, all we know is what we were taught. And until we, for me, it's been until I examine all of those things and create my own true reality with it. And because for the longest time, I go back to grandma and, you know, grandma Gladys and Lillian, they were you know, get off the bus. We had to check in with Grandma Lillian, but I didn't have that. And I thought somewhere in my head, of course, moving to Vadea, I thought 
I was going to have grandparents to save the day because that's what I thought the grandparents were, were the other parents. It's how we were raised is with how much time we did spend with them and without mom there. And I say with them, you know, grandma Lillian was just across the parking lot, but that yeah. was still, she yeah. was under, we were under a sort some sort of supervision. And that was one of the biggest um, realizations for me was, Oh, I don't have that. I don't have, I mean, I had it for a little bit with mom when Hayden was a baby, but um I was always looking for the savior for some the person to come in on the white horse and be like, let me take your children for the weekend. And that still hasn't happened. And I don't, I don't know, maybe that's because all that's all I saw with mom was, you know, the grandparents were so big in our lives that um, I didn't have that. And I, I was searching for that, not knowing that all the answers truly were within Right. You had an, you had a behavior that you saw our mother engage in and that you thought you would carry forward. And then when you, because it wasn't the truth. Right. (laughs) And then when you didn't, your brain is like, something's gone wrong. This is actually a huge problem. (laughs) Like, yeah. And then for the delusion of me still trying to look for that or trying to solve that in some way. And because that was my biggest problem was I had kids and then I was like, Oh, I have to do this by myself. Well, I mean, of course do I have, this, spouse, right, I have but... to do this kid thing all the time by myself. Are you serious? Like... <laughs> right. you know, mom died when I was six months pregnant with Vic. So that's right. That's right. We should, we should mention that we, we are, uh, our mom died in 2009, so she met only one of her grandsons before Correct. she died. Right. So she and she um, helped a lot with Hayden. She sure she did. did when right when I moved back to Atlanta, and uh, we kind of touched on this the other day. But like I told you, she worked days. Yeah. practice law and then I was working at Cafe Intermezzo downtown or on Piedmont Peachtree so she did the you know I did the day shift with Hayden and then she did the night shift so it was two working the great two, two working, working mom and a working women, right raising a child right here mm. so what else could we talk about that might be like useful to people? I mean, I, I, I think that I will be unpacking all of this forever, right? Like, I think that we are just beginning to sort of touch on what will be one of the main themes of my work with my clients over time. And like, and like, even just a couple of examples that you gave, like there are other people out there who were like, yeah, same, right? Like your example about like thinking there would be grandparents nearby, Mm -hmm. because that's how our mother arranged our life. Correct. Yeah. That there there were grandparents nearby all the time and the grandparents were very, very involved and it was like a thing. Yeah. And that has not happened for either of us. Like, right. And I, 
have quit wanting to design being a mother and motherhood around what other people do and what I see. It, it's questioning almost all my beliefs and you, making sure I'm very steadfast in my own beliefs rather than mom's beliefs or grandma's beliefs. Right. You, but you, to your point, I don't think that the normal person is capable of doing that in the disorientation, confusion, and upheaval in the beginning, right? Like it takes, this is, this is part of my, like, it takes intention. Yeah, absolutely. It takes like, like when that alarm bell is ringing inside of us, you have to answer the call of the alarm bell. And it, for some people, right, that is going to mean a variety of different things. For some people, that's going to mean hiring a coach like me. For some people, that's going to mean medication. For some people, that's going to mean therapy. For some people, that's going to mean, right, like that they that they do choose to leave the workforce, right? Like everybody gets to sort of solve that in in their own way. I think that the the biggest like suggestion I can give people is to solve it somehow, right? Like that, the, cause so it's many people, <laughs> some, so many people, and you know, we can talk about this vis-a-vis our own mom, even like some people kind of get on the downhill and, and like start to experience like downgrades or whatever you want to call it, right? They experience the struggles of working motherhood and they just think it has to be this way. It has to be this way because my mother was a working mother and she was always miserable. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it takes intention to say, no, no. Like I hear the alarm bell and I'm going to answer the alarm. Like in my case, it was, I'm not just going to keep eating. I'm going to answer this alarm bell. And, you know, like, you know, we can, let's talk about the alarm bells and my coping mechanism. Cause we know yours was food and, you know, mine was a much, well, not rougher, but it was a lot of substances of alcohol and drugs. And I did that for so long. It's, it's, I mean, look at me, 2013 is when I got sober and it's never too late to get sober. And I can honestly say I have not been wonderful and on the up upward track the whole you know seven eight years I've been sober now but even when you do fall into a valley let's say you can't keep going down in the valley and it's it I think it's a lot of intention self-awareness um being and help and help yes the getting knowing that you're you say help and I know what you mean, but knowing that you're not alone in not only the struggle, but there are the solutions. And, um, you know, like for me, I didn't know anything but medication. And so that's what I did take when I was pregnant or when I was, you know, postpartum, I guess what I see is women striving for this perfectionism and, and this is discussions too. And when they, feel so far gone, like so far in the hole, they don't truly know that there is something that can, you know, pull them out. And there's always a hand reaching down to you and um, 
you just got to grab that thing and hold on until you start feeling better. And I see so many new working mothers describe it as a whole, like it is a whole that like, yeah, it, I, I think it is a whole and like that the, the uh, you know, falling down the hole, just like you said, right. There are hands that you can grab to help you out. Like, you know, in your case, 12 step, right. Like mm-hmm. for other people, for other people, it is funny, right? Like we're sort of having this whole discussion about our mother. For other people, their families of origin are their best source of help. Like that is for sure the case for some people. Absolutely. Like reuniting with family, like like beefing up their family ties. I mean, that didn't happen to be the case for either of us. But, you know, for some people, that is absolutely their best source of, of support, which is great. Yeah. And if you, it's, if you stay in, if you realize something's wrong, the alarm bell that it, but I was always taught to ignore those alarm bells. So when a a woman can be, yes, I was told, no, that's nothing. That's nothing, you know, whatever. And, and so there was a, there was a shame and embarrassment to even ask for help. Um, and that stigma just needs to be thrown in the garbage can That's with all the rest so of the social media and these, you know, these of keeping up appearances because, oh my gosh, motherhood is beautiful and messy <laughs> and weird. And right. it, it's so, it's so incredible. And, you know, with my COVID realizations that have been going on since March, the appreciation I have for myself as a mother, you as a mother, our mother, and every other mother who's just doing the thing, who's even attempting to do it because they want to, for whatever their reason is. But and let's back in the day, let's, let's take a moment and put into our hearts the women who have had babies during COVID. I like mm. genuinely have love in my heart for the women who have had a baby. I mean, talk about, talk about that sort of image of perfection, right. And that being demolished. So not only do you have like, you know, new motherhood, which is messy and all of the things Mm -hmm. and you have a pandemic, right. So whatever, Mm -hmm. like I, I really feel for, like we've been talking about this sort of like expectation that's unmet, right. Like the woman who got pregnant in February and who was like, I'm going to have a baby shower and mm-hmm. <laughs> all these things and just all these, all the like stuff that was supposed to happen. And, you know, and everybody's going to be at the hospital with me or the, at the birthing center. Right. And then like right. all that stuff just did not go to plan. I have so much compassion. And again, that's one of those places where, that unmet expectation for some people can be really, really crushing and, and can, then, yeah, yeah. Can cause so much suffering. Well, and you know, the unmet expectations are just resentments and we only take those out on ourselves and, you know, a, a new mother, any mother, but it, I see we're focusing on new mothers is 
Oh my gosh, it is so hard. And I can say this again as a seasoned mom, we're we're gonna screw up things. We just it's it's never gonna be perfect, but to learn from it and not have the shame and embarrassment because I spent so many, so much time ashamed and embarrassed of who I was as a mother, as a person. But you know these. I know I, you know, I'm on social media. I'm not against social media. Let me just say that I am. Sure. I'm on. A we both are. Platform. We both are on social media. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. You know, I know. I follow a bunch of women and it seems like there was something, I guess the, the beginning of COVID lots of people were busy and having babies. Now the babies are coming and it's, um, I do see the struggles they're having to all the safety precautions and that stinks because you're already so uncomfortable in the hot, or I was at least, I couldn't stand being in the hospital. And yeah, shout out to all the mommies having babies right now. (laughs) And because it is hard and yeah, you don't get a baby shower and all the people there and the, it's so weird. And then having to put a mask on a newborn. Oh my gosh. It is. It is a really 2020. It is, it is so 2020. So any, any other final thoughts we, we can, we can end on this love, this note of love for all the mothers in our family and ourselves as mothers and all the mothers who have given birth in 2020. Yes. And, 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 you know, just love to, to moms in general, because this is being a mother. I never thought I wanted it until I became a mom and truly just in the last nine months has my purpose, my life purpose really been defined for me. And that is being the mother because my lifestyle, what our family is going through and in the chapter we're in, I can't, continue to look outside of myself for any solution in motherhood. It's not in the food. It's not in the drink. It's not in this, the other person's perfect post. It is me being true to myself and being true to my kids and explaining to them because, you know, fortunately, you know, mine are nine, 11 and 17. So I talk to them on much different levels, all of them. Right. And to be able to explain to them, you know, what's going, what's going on in the world. Cause there's so much going on, but letting them know that everything's okay. And that as long as, it, and I'm okay. And telling them, you know, when I had strep last week, I had the morning talk, you know, Hey, I feel awful. I'm going back to bed with my bottled water and I'll, you know, I'll see y'all in a little bit. And they gave me that space. And it's the same for them though. It's giving them the space to have their time and their moments. And it's appreciating, appreciating what they have to offer and what I have to offer them. And that might not sound right, but it's not, it's not outside of our relationship of us. And it's, it's everything because I think that part of what my alarm bell was telling me was that taking care of myself on foundational levels was not happening 
and that I needed to start doing so. And that like the process that you just described where you were like, kiddos, I'm not feeling good. I'm taking care of myself today. And this is what that looks like. Like you, you get that, like, you know, you, if we imagine sort of like your life in concentric circles, right? Like, so you get the rest that you need and the medicine that you need, and you're like taking care of yourself. Your children are watching you take care of yourself in a meaningful way. And then they begin to take care of themselves in that way. Like in this circles of like care, just radiate out. And like your, whatever that involved for you, the permission that you needed to give yourself, like I'm taking a sick day because I'm sick, right? Like the permission that that included and like the, the self love and respect that that involves like in the and like doing that for ourselves and then modeling it with the children that we're raising right I mean this is the this might be the crux of the whole thing that what we see that we did not develop until we were in our whatever 30s or 40s are tools that we now get to give to our children at very young ages right like we Right. Our family history just did not include this skill set. It didn't include, you know, the, the ability to, you know, move out of shame, move out of embarrassment and be like, you know, sort of emotionally and mentally caring for ourselves. And now we get to develop those skill sets and give it to these children that we're raising. And, you know, that's pretty amazing. It is so amazing. And I'm, I'm honestly seeing it a little more than I guess I wasn't looking for it before, but, you know, find other moms who, and, you know, obviously get, you know, the help, the coaching, the, if you need other help, whatever that, that Avenue looks like, but know that you're, I think the biggest thing is you're not alone. There's every mother struggles, no matter what they tell you. Otherwise, we all struggle, but we, it's not all about the struggle. It's, we need to celebrate the wins and no matter how small it is and no matter what, in, as insignificant as it is, for instance, I'm getting off this with you and we're going to go outside and make a fire <laughs> because we didn't get to do school today because we had to get haircuts and other stuff. And you know, time is whatever now. And we're just going to go make a fire and do some s'mores because there's nothing else to do. And it's a perfect day to do it. It's that's, that sounds wonderful. I know. And it is so much fun, but it's not, I'm not going to post that on social media. It's those precious times that I want to be fully present and be with my kids and hang out with my kids with no electronic outside with us and just to hanging out, you know, doing our thing, breathing fresh air. And I, and the, I see and the gift that that is right. That this is like time with them where you're not performing or thinking about the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 we got to just love ours. Uh, it, it's all goes back to love. And if we're feeling a little hard on ourselves, love ourselves a little more yeah that's what I do because I can fall into the shame spiral or the oh this, yeah this, none of this is to say that I've completely eradicated 
shame or guilt or any of it. All I, I just now have a set, a toolkit. Like when I feeling that those emotions come on, I now have a set of practices and tools that I can use to, you know, move through them in a way that's t- toward my eventual greater good. Right. It, Cause if we love ourselves instead of punish ourselves, then more comes out of love than negativity anytime. And it, it's being kinder and gentler. I think the whole world and needs it. And, you know, um, working moms, all moms, we need to remember that we are powerful, bad aces because <laughs> we birthed a baby we made a human we made a human we, so we grew for, a human so for the other moms out there who are listening this is my final question to you what is saving your life right now and i've stolen this question from uh jen hatmaker who asked this of all of her of all of her podcast guests what is Repeated saving your life right now oh my gosh um, hope that's a good answer hope never lose it that's a good answer holly (laughs) thank you so much for being my first podcast guest thanks for having me this was fun this was fun i love you i love you too